What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Kings and Priests podcast. I am here with Brent B. Shore. Brent, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So Brent is the uh, CEO and founder of a company called Permanent Capital. I want to get into that in a second. I feel like I've been hitting you up now on Twitter. I came across your Twitter account. I think you do, is it like around Christmas time every year, you do kind of a sort of faith-centric post. Um, and is that right? Did I, did I get that right? Yeah, is yeah I, do, I do one typically Christmas and Easter, yeah. Okay. Um, and I came across it and we had just started this, this podcast, you know, and I hit you up and I think I feel like I've been bothering you ever since to get on. So thank you for doing this, man. I'm glad we could finally make it happen. <laughs> um, I'm glad too. Thanks for your patience. So, okay. So let's firstly, I was going to ask you to kind of talk about your faith for a second, but I was actually just looking at your Twitter account a couple of days ago and, um, you had an opportunity to have dinner with Warren Buffett, uh, a few years I back. I did. Can you just give me a quick, like, that's such a cool experience. So maybe just tell me, like, how did that come about? What was that like? And what's just, like, one major takeaway that you took away from that time with him? Yeah, it was a, uh, a great friend of mine, uh, Ted Seides, who invited he's, – he's been friends with, with Mr. Buffett for a long time. And he invited uh, myself and, and Patrick O'Shaughnessy to have dinner. And it was uh, Todd Combs and Mr. Buffett. And – five of us for gosh, three and a half hours. It was a, it was a wonderful experience, uh, up in Omaha. And, um, I mean, my, my takeaway is that he's, he's the real deal. He's who he presents himself to be. He's, uh, he's, he's not any different than, than what you, than what you'd see kind of publicly. He's incredibly intelligent, um, thoughtful, uh, quirky and interesting and, you know, sort of has a, has thoughtful takes on, on a lot of things. I think we talked about Notre Dame sports for, uh, a long time. Uh, he, he seemed to, to know by far the most uh, of anybody at the table combined about Notre Dame sports, which was a shocking thing to me. I'd never really heard him talk about that before. But um, yeah, I mean, incredible depth. And um, I mean, for me personally, the, the takeaway, I'd never heard him say this before. And it was a result of some questions that I asked him around diligence in companies. And, you know, I, for, for us and what we do, we're buying and uh, partnering with smaller family owned businesses. So the early days of the Buffett partnership and then, and then Berkshire were, were more interesting to me than, than sort of the, the you know, what, what's happened the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Business just gets different as you move up sort of the, the, the ranks. So I kept asking him about the early days, Dempster Mill, Sanborn Maps, um, you know, the, the early deals that kind of really put him on the map. And, um, you know, I kept pushing him on, you know, so how did you think about this? How did you do this? And, and ultimately he kind of had a, a line that ended the, the the that part of the conversation, which was price is my due diligence. Mm. And I thought it was really profound. And it was something I never heard him say before, but really made a lot of sense that, you know, everything has to be in light of the price you pay. And so if you think about it from a business perspective, you know, especially in our world, how much are we willing to pay and in what terms for um, a company? It really should the, the diligence and how much we're willing to tolerate should be you know indicative of sort of the price that we're paying. So the lower the price, the more uh, weird things and maybe concerning things that you can tolerate, and the higher the price, the the inverse of that. So I thought that was a you know that's probably the the one big takeaway, and that was something that I again never heard him say publicly um, before, and uh, thought it was pretty neat. It's pretty good comment. Yeah, that's really what a cool opportunity. Um, so you. What I really appreciate about you, man, is you are so out there with your faith. Um, and it's honestly been legitimately encouraging and inspiring to me just to see somebody 
um, who is as well respected in your business as you are. Be vocal on kind of the biggest platform you have, which I think is probably Twitter, right? In terms of just people following you. And, and um, so your Twitter bio says you're a former atheist now following Jesus. So maybe just, I mean, that's a pretty, like, that's a really cool thing to have in the, in the Twitter bio, you know, that is a, this is, this is who I am. Um, and you came to faith as an adult. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I came to faith, uh, kicking and screaming. If, if anybody, uh, could come to, you know, if I can do it, anybody can, uh, I mean, it's the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit at work, but yeah, I was, um, uh, I told my mom, I didn't believe in God when I was nine. And, uh, I can remember where we were driving because my, my brother was in the backseat and started crying. He was six, I think at the time. And, um, you know, I, I kind of went from there. Just, I was just skeptical. I was born with a skeptical heart and, you know, now learning more about myself, you know, it's, I'm thinking dominant. I, I struggle maybe with the, the feeling and experiential side. And, you know, I always want to read more books. And I think this is a real danger in my walk with God, um, that I want to learn more about God than be with God. Mm. And so, um, I, you know, I, I took that same sort of the, the, the gift that God gave me with the thinking and I applied it skeptically, um, towards mm. the church, towards faith. I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure that I, I'm sure I heard the gospel, you know, a hundred times when I was a kid and in high school and probably even in college. Um, I can remember where I was when I actually heard the gospel though, for the first time, like I didn't understand what I rejected. Like I rejected religion. Uh, I rejected, um, you know, a workspace system of salvation. And I'm sure that's not what the church that I was a part of growing up said, I'm sure that's not, I'm, it was a, it was a me problem. I'm right. convinced of it, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't understand who Jesus really was. I couldn't understand why he was, I couldn't understand the beauty and, um, and I just didn't believe. Um, and so that led me mm-hmm. down into my, you know, I would say college years and into my twenties, um, really down the sort of atheism, new atheism, which then tipped into nihilism and man, it's a dark place. It's a, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, um, you know, if I was God, um, I would have treated me so differently than he did. We, we worship a mm. just unbelievable, loving, kind, gracious, patient God. I would have, uh, you know, I, the things that I was saying and what was in my heart, I would have punished me by taking everything away. I would have, uh, I would have said, you know, Brent, you don't deserve anything. And I'm going to make sure you understand you don't deserve anything. And I'm going to strip it all away from you in, in maybe a hope that I would realized that I needed God. And instead God gave me the exact opposite. Um, God gave me everything and more that I ever could have asked for. That was like what my heart was seeking. So he gave me, um, you know, a reputation that I was craving. Um, I won a bunch of awards, um, success in business, had a beautiful wife who loved me, had a lot of friends and I was just empty and hollow. And so it was through the abundance that he gave me that I realized like, that's not it. I can't believe it's not it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, and then wow. it was kind of at my most nihilistic that I started being surrounded by people who just thought differently and loved differently. And I kept, you know, wondering like, what in the world is with these people? And it turns out they were Christians mm. and, um, met people who were just patient with me and took me to lunch and gave me books and, encouraged me and were just so kind and generous to, to me. And, um, many of those people I'm still in relationship with today and, you know, to sort of 10 mm-hmm. years later. And, uh, 
it's been a, been a wild adventure. Man, that's really awesome. Um, was there like a, I, I love actually your thought on you were kind of came at God or thought about God more intellectually at, at the beginning. And there was this moment of, um, man, I be basically being with God, you know, you even said that you're more of a, a thinker. I'm, I'm in some ways similar, but I came up in more of a charismatic Pentecostal stream, right? Where we were all feeling, it was all feeling and all presence of God and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, in my adult years have come back around to going, Oh, wait a minute. Okay. There is this intellectual piece to all of this, that the stream of church I came up in was not the most, uh, you know, just not the most supportive. It wasn't, they weren't supportive, but it was very much like, you know, don't worry about theology. Just, you know, pray a lot, seek God, be in his presence and everything's going to be okay. You know, but in all that to say, I've even come back around to having to remind myself like at 36 years of age as a pastor, right? (laughs) Like in LA going, man, yeah, there is this, like, I I can't just know about, know about God. Uh, I can't just understand theology and try and make sense of all of it. I do. There's this, there's just a, the, the basics of spending time with the father. Um, that's such a good, um, perspective. So, okay. I'm trying to figure out what direction I want to go here. Cause I, I want something that you said kind of brought up a whole other question for me. Let's first get into, uh, permanent equity. Um, because I think that'll inform some of some of the questions I want to ask you here in a bit. So I was listening to a podcast you were on recently and you made the statement that you kind of, in fact, let me, I actually wrote down the quote. You basically said, I accidentally bought a business. Um, is kind of how you got started. So I think oftentimes, at least I know for me, we hear these stories of these founders and investors and people that have seen some success and kind of imagine that they kind of had all the puzzle pieces put together before, you know, like from the time they were 19, they knew exactly what they were going to do, how they were going to do it. Um, it sounds like, and maybe I'm wrong, that you kind of stumbled into doing what you're doing, which is uh, encouraging to me because I've stumbled into pretty much everything I've ever done. <laughs> um, so give us like the quick backstory. Like, how did you start Permanent Equity? What were the early days like? And how did you find yourself doing what you're doing now? And then maybe even just a bit about what you guys do, since I guess we never touched on that at the beginning. Yeah. So um, I, I've joked that I'm the worst gump of private equity for a reason, right? I drove, drove the clown car into the gold mine. I fell backwards into it. Whatever analogy you want to <laughs> use. Um I, uh, yeah, I was getting my law degree, my MBA at Mizzou and met my wife who was getting her PhD and, um, agreed to start a business. And that led into starting a couple other businesses. And I would say none of them were super successful. They were, they were, they were in the marketing services space. They were fine, but I think that there's a sort of natural cap out of that business model. And it's unbelievably difficult to sort of build big stable organizations uh based on project work and mm-hmm. based on sort of the, the high competition yep. nature incredibly talented field of people um so mm-hmm. uh i heard from somebody who had a mutual acquaintance and he said hey this this guy just got left at the altar for the second time trying to buy his business um I think you guys should get connected and i took that to mean i should try to go buy his business because why else would you tell me that mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I looked probably 14 at the time. I was, I think, 24 and, uh, and sat across the table from this guy. And I mean, he literally said, two grown men have tried to buy my business. Like, why do you think you're going to be able to do it? <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, I had no idea. I mean, I, I literally, had, I'd never talked to anybody who bought a business before. I, I you know, back in then, this, that was 2009. I mean, there wasn't a lot of stuff on the internet back then on 
you know, entrepreneurship right. through acquisition or search funds or any of the mm -hmm. stuff that maybe people would could stumble on and, and, and Google today. And, um, it, so I, I just had to make up as I went and I, I, the way I looked at it was our current business was project driven. Um, we had a lot of really creative people and uh, great talent, but like, I think we were being underutilized and I looked at his business as being a ballast, um, in terms of the stability of the revenue. So they were long-term government contracts. Mm -hmm. We were, we were not. And so, mm -hmm. um, sat down with him, made him an offer. He told me there'd be no way he'd ever sell it for that. And I didn't talk to him for seven mm -hmm. months. And then out of the blue, he called me back and said, look, we just renewed our largest account. Business is in great shape. I'll give it to you for the price you asked for, but you got to close all, all, all cash 60 days from now. And so asked my newly married wife to sign a personal guarantee and got an expedited SBA loan and, um, Rolled the dice. Just the kind of things you do as a newly married man. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, if, if you, so I remember the first conversation I had with my my local attorney, he's like, you know, I said, hey, have you ever bought a business before? Like help somebody buy a business? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've done lots of real estate deals. And I was like, well, I don't think that's the same. I mean, maybe it's the same thing. I mean, probably. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was like, well, we just need to do diligence. And I was like, okay. And I typed into um, Google DO diligence like due diligence. <laughs> yes. And then it popped yeah. up with DUE diligence. I was like, Oh, that must be it. And then, you know, you start reading about all this stuff. So, I mean, I, you know, I had no idea. In fact, I closed that deal and uh, a friend of mine from, uh, from college said, Oh, you did a private equity deal. And I said, excuse me. And so I typed in private equity and started researching the private equity model. Had no idea. I mean, my background, my undergrad was in politics. I was emphasis in poverty studies. So, I mean, like mm. I had no, no, basis to understand what really what was going on. Um, but did well with that, did real well with that and, um, paid back the SBA loan early and, um, just started rolling cash flows. had, you know, no debt was living in Columbia, Missouri, very little, mm -hmm. very little expenses and, um, mm -hmm. started looking at how to do this more of this. And so I think part of the lack of availability of resources online drove our thinking around, well, look, what, what if we became, and became known for helping others get get into the space and helping demystify lower middle market, micro private equity, whatever mm -hmm. analogy, whatever you want to call this, this you know, sort of segment of the market. And so at that time we were buying businesses that were, you know, kind of half a million dollars of cash flow to maybe two million dollars, three million dollars of cash flow. Um, did three more transactions and on with my own capital. And then we ended up raising uh, $50 million of outside capital and very unusual structure. We think of it as a far more redemptive model of private equity. And then uh, raised $300 million at the end of uh, 2019, right before COVID. So anyway, it's been wild. Um, you know, we... And that model is... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, and that model for you is your investors are um, investing with you for a very extended, extended period of time, right? So what is that like? What, what, what are those terms again? Yeah, well, so maybe we could frame it against traditional private equity. So traditional private equity yep. gets um, kind of the money for seven years with a three one-year extensions. So from the time that that somebody says, yes, I will give you my money till the time you have to return it back is, is usually a maximum of 10 years. Um, there's some ways to get around it. You can maybe file a couple more extensions mutually agreed upon with the, the, the investors. But for the most part, it's a short time horizon. 
And what that really does is it forces you to make major changes quickly in the business because you got to find things to buy, you got to change them, and you got to resell them all within a fairly short period of time. So the average hold time right. for um, most investments in private equity, or I say the, the preferred hold time would be like two or three years. And so you know, you think about all the things that got to happen to make that happen. It, it's mm. it's it's tough. It's it's very difficult, and so um, it creates challenges with long-term relationships. It's impossible to make good long-term decisions, you know, when you have a short time horizon mm -hmm. and we have short-term capital mm -hmm. and, um, it forces you typically to also use a lot of debt. So the leverage buyout model is, is LBO model. Um, kind of, uh, if you've ever heard of the book, barbarians at the gate, uh, was about KKR and they were one of the first, uh, sort of buyout shops to, to pioneer this model. And, um, you know, you use a lot of debt. You basically max out leverage on the business. And if the business doesn't do well, then, then you lay off a bunch of people and cut costs and try to make it work. And uh, even if even if the business is doing well, you're trying to run as lean as possible. So then you can try to resell it to somebody else within a short period of time. So these businesses get, once right. they get sort of traded to private equity, they get retraded five, six, seven times over a 20-year period. And you can imagine with six, seven different owners, all with different styles, all with different people in charge, different boards of directors, um, it, 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 it creates a very chaotic operating environment that, yeah. um, you look private equity. Yeah, no, you're not able to build any kind of meaningful culture in that, in that environment. Right? It's really tough. I mean, what I always say is like the, the LBL model can produce really good results. It, it produces great results for, for investors. Um, it can look, I'm sure that there are great private equity people out there. I know some of them who have a great heart for people and who want to do really well. The model is just not optimized to do that. And so, you know, what we said was we wanted to create a model that allowed us to treat people as people, not as the, the means, but as the end, we wanted to create cultures uh, of caring and, and sort of long-term kindness. We wanted them to take good care of our customers and, and not short, you know, take shortcuts, cut corners. Um, and so our, we have a 30 year money. So our investors give it, give us their money for a minimum of 30 years, which is, you know, functionally permanent capital. We have an ability to renew that additionally beyond that if we want to. Um, but it allows us to buy with no intention of selling the business and take a very long-term view uh, to these organizations. It's crazy. I mean, we our, our investors, a lot of people told us no, that we were, we were idiots. I mean, I think it's the, the longest dated uh, private equity fund in history. So we were definitely breaking some new ground. And then our fee model is completely different as well. In traditional private equity, it's called two and 20. So you get 2% of fee on the assets under management, and then you get 20% of the upside after you sort of paid back your investors and maybe gave them a, um, an additional you know, small return on top of that uh, called a hurdle rate. Uh, our, our investors, uh, they pay no fees, no reimbursements of any kind. If we travel somewhere, it's on us. Um, if we pay lawyers and the deal doesn't go through, it's on us. We just, we, we shoulder all the costs of the team. Um, there's literally no cash that goes from our investors to us outside of when we invest the capital and we start generating return back to investors in cash, not marking up an asset, not, Hey, we think the asset was worth a dollar yesterday. And we think it's worth $3 today. You know, we don't get, we don't get any return to us. We don't get any uh, fees on that. It has to be in cash, but once we start returning it, then we share in that cash flow. So it creates a perfect alignment up and down the chain so that we can, everyone can think mm -hmm. the same way, which is if there's a good use of cash and we think there's a high return, high probability reinvestment, we'd be stupid not to do it, right? Because we want to delay gratification. We want to invest that for, for better returns in the future. And if there's not really great opportunities to do that, 
then we'd be stupid to keep the cash in the business and just grow for growth's sake. So both those things end up being true. Right. And you guys invest in like family-owned businesses, yeah. right? So maybe just talk about some of what that is like. Can I, because I think um, what you're talking about, I think in a, another podcast you call the forced virtue, basically, right? So you're essentially investing long-term and helping trans families transition family-owned businesses from one generation to the next in some cases, right? So maybe just talk about that piece of it as well because that's a really unique um, – perspective to have yeah i mean our ideal transaction would be with a family that usually there's a patriarch or matriarch um they own the vast majority of the business maybe even all the business and then there's um sort of next generation maybe family may not be family that are that are helping run the business and probably have taken over the lead operations uh from that patriarch or matriarch and um, we come in and we buy, we'd like to buy, our preference would be to, to purchase, you know, between kind of 60 and maybe 80% of the business from them and then have the remaining equity be owned by the leadership team of the company. So we're all aligned in that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're often dealing with all the issues you'd imagine, right? We're dealing with uh, family dynamics. We're dealing with... Um, mm -hmm. Egos and uh, misunderstandings. And it's, you know, if you... A lot of the businesses have been operating for 30, 40, 50 years. So there's a lot of baggage that comes with them. And we're trying to, you know, everyone's on a spectrum, right? And and we're trying to move them over time um, to be more open-handed, to be more uh, thoughtful and generous and, uh, you know, have great culture. But, you know, everyone starts at a different place. So, um, but we really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I think I have the best job in the world. Yeah. Okay. So were you, when you... Did you start private equity before you became a Christian? Yeah. So, so this sort of model of investing and thesis around the, the kinds of people you want to work with, the kinds of businesses that you want to help, the way in which you want to do it, this very like long-term legacy view. Did you kind of come up with this before you became a Christian or was that after? It's both. Um, it, okay. So I would say I got into doing this because you could make a lot of money, um, just frankly, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the, mm -hmm. the, and, mm -hmm. and back then... You know, when I first when I first bought uh, MediaCross, which is the first transaction, um, I wrote a piece a while back called "A Bad Boss in Recovery." Um, you know, everyone was there to serve me, and it turns out when you're wanting to be served by everyone, no one serves you the way you want to be served, right? It was always full of right. frustrations, and yes. I always had high expectations of other people and lower expectations of me, and uh, mm. you know, I always judged myself based on my intentions and others by their actions, um, and uh, you know, it's exactly the opposite of, of, of <laughs> exactly the opposite of how I should have been. I was a mess. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I got into this kind of like everything else I got, I got married because she was hot. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, uh, you know, I got into business cause I wanted to make a bunch of money and, you know, God, uh, redeems our, our sin, right? I mean, God even works through our sin. There's, uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, a great book uh, by by a woman named Barbara Dujic that, that talks about this, like our sin passes through God's fingertips. Um, it's kind of controversial, right? In the Christian world, there's some people who disagree with that, but um, how could he not? If he knows everything, he's sovereign. Um, how could our sin not? And so in my case, like I said, God's treated me just outrageously generously. I, I turn around and I later am in wonder of the thing that I have and as my motives started to change, certainly the types of businesses I was willing to engage with and the types of conversations changed as well as my, as my motives changed. 
And, you know, when we raised the capital, the outside capital, 2017, 2019, I was, I was certainly a Christian then and um, was pretty bold in my faith uh, even back then and uh, was worried that it would impact our ability to fundraise. Um, you know, we're, we're not a quote unquote Christian business. We're not, we don't exclusively hire Christians. We don't exclusively raise from Christians. We, we're not buying businesses right. from Christians. I mean, we do have Christians as investors and as employees and as, um, uh, as the sellers and partners for us. But, you know, that wasn't the, the, I, I firmly believe that Jesus, uh, came in contact with the world, right? He didn't wall himself off. Mm -hmm. So, um, right. But I can, I can tell you that as you know, my, my heart really started to gain changed by the gospel and as the Holy Spirit went to work in me, I mean, I wake up and be like, oh my gosh, I had, I can't believe I've been treating people like that. Right. Or, or, you know, mm -hmm. you start, I think there's always a continuum of like, you know, first you're aware of behavior that you did and you, you know, kind of carry some, some repentance from it. Right. And then sort of gets more and more aware, the closer to it. And then before long, you start to realize you're like, oh, this is what I'm thinking. Wait, I need to stop. And I need to you know, stop the action. Right. That, that is sanctification. Um, and so certainly as, as I become more sanctified, it has been, um, uh, it, it has been a change in purpose and motive, but, um, the structure, uh, God's the God of, of logic and reason, right? So, so the thing that we were doing in the beginning, um, it's following biblical principles. We just didn't, I just didn't know they were biblical. <laughs> so, yeah. um, having a long time horizon and treating people, uh, well, uh, will make you more money, uh, because it's the way God created the universe and, and it's the you're sort of going with the grain of the universe, whether or not you know that it's, that it's God's in it or behind it. So, um, mm -hmm. as I learned more about God and I, I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. We could tweak this. We could change that. Let's think about how we change, you know, change the model and, and think about people a little bit differently. And it continues to evolve today. I think God's continuing as I read his word and, pray about it and spend time with the father. I mean, he's always working on my heart in different ways and, um, mm -hmm. having, making me realize that I'm, I'm unsurrendered in areas that I didn't even know existed. Mm. How have you found, um, so kind of becoming a believer as a entrepreneur, business owner doing it for you said, I, I started this to make money. I started this to, you know, I, you don't, you're not the kind of person that starts doing what you're doing and, and not be competitive and want to win and want to succeed, you know? How have you found the process of balancing, um, and I use the word ambition, not in a necessarily a bad way, but your kind of ambition, desire to build, to, to do what you do that God has obviously called you to do. I think you would view what you do as a calling. Uh, maybe not, but um, how do you balance that, like, wake up every day, desire to build something great and all that goes with that in the way that you negotiate and in the way that you maneuver and build, like all that kind of stuff. How do you balance all of that with waking up and going, okay, I'm also a believer. I also have to treat people well. Uh, I also have to um, be the kind of person that God's called me to be in every area of my life, right? So talk about what that process has been like. Yeah, well, I, so to be honest, I don't feel any tension uh, or any tension. Maybe I, I have felt has has largely gone away, and I think it continues to go away. I mean, work is work is for our good and His glory. Like work mm -hmm. is pre fall. Um, I have a high view of work, um, and I think that that work is the one of the primary methodologies in which God changes the world and and, and builds the city, grows the garden, whatever analogy you want to use. So I just, I mean, 
when I'm at my best, so let's talk about, you know, the sort of the, my, my sanctified self and my flesh, right? When, when, when my, mm -hmm. when I'm, when I'm with God, when I'm, I feel his presence, when I'm, when I'm in alignment with him, um, it's effortless. I mean, I don't, I don't have to think like, oh gosh, how do I treat people? Cause I need to treat them well. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. th there's not that yeah. at all. You know, it's when my idols get threatened. Um, or when there's some unsurrendered part of me, my flesh that gets cut on that it hurts. Right. And so somebody comes into my office and, um, threatens my pride. Right. And I'm like, well, how dare you act like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm amazing. You know? And then I'm like, wait, mm -hmm. I should be a man of no reputation. Why does it matter if somebody thinks I'm an idiot? Cause I actually am an idiot in many ways. Um, right. Like it's, it's, it's that type yeah. of thinking that I think, you know, I, I, I do have a battle. I mean, Paul talks about this. I do the things I do not want to do. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I certainly have felt and continue to feel that battle. And I think it's a, I think that's part of being in the already, but not yet. Right. It's the in-between. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. but in terms of the work itself, like, I mean, how we treat people, I mean, we're, we're trying not to take advantage of anyone. We're trying to be honest mm -hmm. and, you know, um, transparent, authentic about who we are. Uh, we're trying to attract the right people and repel the wrong people and hopefully have partners who pick us as much as we pick them. Um, try not to you know, hide the ball. We try not to lie or deceive anybody. We try, I mean, mm -hmm. and look, these are all 10 commandments. Like I'm not, I mean, this is not yep. anything radical. I mean, it's <laughs> mm -hmm. all the, all the great business books that are out there are taking a biblical principle and then beating the heck out of it for 300 pages. Right. I mean, it's right. Um, it's all straightforward. It's all there in the Bible. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I think that, um, God has chosen me as a conduit to have certain talents and authority, and he's always given me just enough character to handle the resources that he has bestowed on me to steward. Um, that's a, that's a prayer that I pray often. I mean, if you look at the world, there are very few people who can handle any large sums of money, fame, or power and not lose their minds. Right. I mean, even the Bible, like, Almost everyone in the Old Testament screwed up badly. Um, in fact, there's almost no one who who didn't really screw the pooch mm -hmm. when it came to um, mm -hmm. taking the gifts that God given them and steward them mm -hmm. well. And so, you know, look, my prayer is that I, you know, I don't think theologically that I will have more than God wants me to have. I don't think I'll have less than what he wants me to have. Um, so my duty that I have to him is to have a clean heart as much as I can, clean eyes, to see what he's given me and to, to hold it in proper perspective and to steward it well and multiply it if that's what he chooses to have us do um he's the lord of the outcomes um mm -hmm. we've got to put in the work and um look i'm god's will until he checks me so i try to be prayerful about decisions we're making and try to just i don't mm -hmm. think god's trying to trick me i don't think god's trying to lead me astray right. um i think i think you know god's like hey i, I think there's a lot of things that god's like you free will's you know real thing like you go choose which what path you want to do but if I do feel checked, and I mean, certainly he is actively, the more I'm aware of how many things in my life are changed and I look back and see that it was for the better, even at the time, we had a deal recently where we um, we thought we were the only people in contention. Um, the, uh, the transaction was very straightforward. We thought it was an easy, it was a slam dunk, right? And, uh, started to, you know, started to jump and cock the ball back behind my head to slam dunk it. And all of a sudden the hoop disappeared and, uh, <laughs> there was, there was no deal to be done. And, um, you know, turns out in the interim, a far better opportunity that we couldn't have taken advantage of came along, um, that we wouldn't have been able to do if we had done that other thing. And it's abundantly obvious now that 
obviously God was in it. And here I thought, I mean, I was, I was, I am the prayer I always pray is, you know, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, pave the way, make it obvious that we should move forward, give us the people, give us the resources, um, smooth the path. Right. And if this is not the thing, then like slam a door shut in front of us, make it obvious that this is not something we should do. And that's what he did in that situation. I remember being so frustrated. I was dejected. You know, we got the news back and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, how did that happen? It's like, Hey, this person came out of nowhere and made an offer that was higher than yours. And we're not even going to give you the chance to counter. Just it's, hmm. it's, we're going to go with the other group. I was blown away. And then now looking back on it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. And turns out the other buyer fell through and we're now in a better position where we don't even want to buy the thing, the original, the original thing. So it's just amazing how God works and, and you know, how the people that have, I mean, especially about me right now, like I am almost useless now to the organization. We have an incredible team that's come alongside me over the years and, and really now is out front and leading this thing um, in ways that are, they're just far more talented than I am in, in almost every area that they're operating in. And so, you know, how God has put people into their hearts to move uproot their family and move from Washington, DC and Miami, Florida. And I mean, all around the country, people are moving to Columbia, Missouri to join us. And, um, wow. I mean, look, like it's just amazing. It's amazing to see how God works. Do you, do you enjoy that part of it? Leading a team, building culture, um, right? Like, is that, I, there are some people who are entrepreneurs and they love that process. And there are others who, who maybe don't. Um, I have found that a lot of the Christian entrepreneurs that I've spoke to that have built teams, it's almost like they, in some ways, just view themselves as <laughs> the passer of the organization, you know, and they may not say that directly, but um, at the end of the day, that's, that's what they do. And they love it. Is that something that you really enjoy? That's, that's a pretty cool um, thing to be able to do. I mean, I think it depends on the season. I, where I feel most alive and where I feel God's given me talents is in seeing things that other people don't see and rallying people towards them. Once the thing's established and we know what we need to do, I'm definitely not the person to grind it out day to day. I can, I did it for 10 plus years. Um, I'm realizing there's people who love to take a vision and to build and sort of execute day to day and, and, and get the thing optimized. That's not me. Um, I am, uh, I'm, I'm the guy who likes new things. I like new challenges. I'd like to take the new, the, the next hill, um, in terms of building the city the way it should be and having all the, the proper plumbing and wall structures and all those things like that's just not, that's not where I, uh, where I find joy. Um, and so what's been really neat is to have people around me that that's what they love, right? I don't love it, but that's what they love and they don't love and they don't have talents in the visioning side. And so you know, we think a lot about this idea of highest and best use. And I think that God calls us to use our talents in, in the best way we possibly can. And so it's not a matter of, you know, can I do something? It's a matter of, should I be doing something? And I pray often that God puts people into my life that are more talented at the thing that they're doing and, and show me the way in which I can be most useful. Um, I mean, me personally, I'm, my tendency is to want, and this is where my pride and sort of my, um, my drive get in the way of, of how I think God wants me, but you know, I get busy quickly. I like to load up my plate. I like to, I like to be out there. I like to talk to people. I like to think about new things. And, and really the best thinking I do is when I'm a little underemployed, when my schedule's, uh, you know, a, mm -hmm. a little bit open and I have the freedom to, I mean, boredom in some ways is a gift. It certainly depends on the people, right? I can easily transition into laziness, but this is where, you know, 
if I have 15 things on my schedule, it's really hard for me to spend time with God. It's really hard for me to be thoughtful about the future. It's really hard for me to think about what's possible. I'm, I'm just, okay, how do I execute? How do I, you know, how do I get out there and perform that day and, uh, and, and try to, you know, move the ball down the field. Um, and that's certainly the opposite of how I think God's called me to be. So it's a real challenge. I mean, I, I honestly, this is an area, as you can tell that I'm, I'm still working through and I'm trying to figure out a way to, um, and maybe it's a, it's, maybe it's a matter of faith. I'm just literally, I'm, you're, you're watching me process this out loud, but it's like, it's probably a matter of faith too, in the sense of the, like, do I trust that if I leave my calendar open and I don't take advantage of every meeting I can, and I don't say yes to all the things that, that are not, not valuable, but are probably not, shouldn't be priorities. Do I trust that God's going to fill that time with good things? Mm. That's hard for me to say. I, you know, I think mm -hmm. that I intellectually, yeah. the distance between my head and my heart, I've turned, turns out as a long, long ways. And I think intellectually, I think the answer is yes. But in my heart, I've got all these protection mechanisms set up and say, oh, no, 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 you need to take control. You need to pack your calendar. You need to be busy. Um, that's how you're valuable. That's how you're useful. Um, sounds a lot mm -hmm. like works driven religion to me. So, right, right. Um, so like transitioning before we switch gears a bit, just before we close, part of what we talk a lot about on the podcast is the kind of business person, entrepreneur, and their relationship with the local church, right? So a lot of our conversations is sometimes how do people who are in the marketplace and who are called and gifted in that world, um, how do they best serve and support their local church, right? I think oftentimes uh, the church has not done the best job of steward. And I can say this as someone who's been a pastor and also been in the business world and sometimes both at the same time. Um, I think oftentimes the church either looks at the business person as, oh, they're the, um, they're the funder of the vision, right? Like they're the person we go to when we got, we got stuff we need done, right? It, you know, we need, we need capital for something. Um, or they sort of, because they're busy and their life maybe looks a little bit different because of what they do for a living, uh, they kind of are just like off on their own. They can't necessarily like serve every weekend and be involved in everything all the time. And so there's often a, a disconnect. Um, what does your relationship with your local church look like? How do you best serve it? And, and how do you think for someone who is an entrepreneur or a business person, they should be thinking about their relationship with their local church? Well, this is a great question. Um, to be honest, I've never been asked this. Um, on, certainly on a podcast before. And I, my answer would be, I'm, I'm definitely not serving my local church the best I can. Um, mm. I just flat out. I mean, we, we try to be generous in our giving. Um, we are, um, we try to be thoughtful and help with strategy around the church in terms of, um, new initiatives. I try to use my gifts in that way. Um, certainly friends with a number of the, um, senior, senior pastors and, and actually pastors in general, not even just senior ones, uh, at the church. But in terms of, you know, my wife and I, we, we, uh, volunteered for a while in, um, the preschool, uh, during, mm -hmm. you know, for Sunday school. Um, and it was not life-giving. It was draining for both of us. Mm -hmm. We have three young kids right now, um, seven, five, and three. And, um, we just couldn't, it, we could, we could, it was just, we ended up walking out of there. It was, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. It was not, yeah. it was not, we did not feel like that, it, that it was we didn't feel like we were making an impact. Um, and mm -hmm. we didn't feel like that it was good for, good for us. So we ended up not doing that. Um, and it's been really hard to be honest, to, to plug back in. Um, I don't know we try to, we try to pay attention to what opportunities there are, but I, I think that, um, honestly, this is an area that both, 
uh, my wife and I and our church are probably uh, not doing a great job in. Hmm. Yeah. Great answer. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to. If we can cut that, if you want, I didn't mean. Heck to, no! Mean don't to cut it. Stump you there. Okay. Put it perfect. out there. Okay. Perfect. I don't care. Um. Um. Okay. So I guess just last question, and then I promise I'm done. Um. You're talking to someone right now. They're listening. We put, you know, we're in LA, so a lot of our uh, listeners are in, you know, like major metropolitan cities. They got a side hustle that they're trying to turn into a full time gig. They're always hitting us up with questions about current economic environment. Have things changed? Am I starting to, you know? So I guess generic question to kind of end our time together is you're talking to a young Christian entrepreneur who wants to start a business, who feels called to start a business. What are some of the most, I guess, basic, what's some of the most basic, almost like boring next step advice you could give to somebody who is trying to figure out what exactly it is they want to do as an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, I was going to say is, it depends. My, my question would be, what are they optimizing for? That's always the first question I always ask people in that situation. Um, and, and that can be a difficult situation to answer it because, I mean, I think a lot of people haven't thought about what they're really optimizing for. They're like, I'm optimizing for all the things, you know, I want to be paid well and I want more time with my family and I want this and I want that. You know, it's like you walk down through the list and, and it's not clear. You know, I, I force people to say, hey, you got to rank, prioritize. What are you trying to optimize for? Because that's going to affect how you fund the business, the style of business you start. Uh, all those things, how you, how you run it, how you think about scaling it, uh, the risk you're willing to take, um, all those things. So, you know, somebody who's a 21 year old with no family, very, very little responsibility is going to have it is going to show up in their business fundamentally differently than somebody who's, you know, 52 and, you know, has three kids mm -hmm. in college. Just, right. it's just going to be, it's just going to be a fact. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing would be, um, I think the best businesses are ones that you're you're called to start a specific thing so if you're called to be in business or you're called to start a business i think you should be really prayerful about what is that thing you're willing you're wanting to start and not just kind of pick the first thing that rolls down or the, even the 10th thing businesses are so hard to start it's, it's a miracle i mean I, i've had a front row seat to lots of crashes and burns including uh with us um we've had a lot of things not work that we started and it's just amazing that anything works so the default is it's not going to work and mm -hmm. it's always going to be hard anybody who says it's not hard either hasn't done it or got lucky the first time it's always hard um and so it's it's equally hard to start something that could get big as it as, as something that's small, right? The first steps look very similar. So you know, th thinking about things, how do they scale? Again, what are you optimizing for, and then how do you fund it, and what's the risk profile? Um, but ultimately, feel called to do the thing and see the thing manifested in the world that you feel like is a vision that should be different um, versus I'm just going to try to you know hustle and make some money. Um, I think that's a really mm -hmm. bad, bad reason to start a business. And, you know, the answer is almost always, if you're optimizing for money, the worst possible thing you could do is start a business. Um, it, it's, you know, it's just, it probabilistically is not a great path to wealth. Um, it's a very, uh, sort of binary outcome. Um, and you should, you should think about it very carefully if that's your main motive. I think the people who I've seen who've done best starting a business are people who just feel deeply called to solve some sort of problem that they see in the world. And they're gonna be relentless and they're gonna to drive towards it and they have vision for how that product should look or that service should look and what's gonna be different about it and who's the audience that's gonna be served by it. And I mean, all, 
all those things. If you don't, if you're like, oh no, I just want to make some money. So I think I'm going to do, you know, like a pizza delivery app because, you know, people need pizza. Ah, I'm not sure that's going to be the thing that's going to be the ticket. And I think it's going to be a painful learning experience. Yeah. Brent, man, thanks so much for doing this today. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat. It's been, um, man, inspiring and uh, really, really appreciate it. We'll definitely have to have you on again at some point in the future if you're down. That sounds great. 